And I hope that you can just accept yourself the way God has made you. I guess we've got to kill these mics or something. Okay, this morning we in Luke's gospel. We were. We've, I didn't finish the whole chapter last week, but uh, you just never know. Luke chapter 5, you know, it's a whole bunch in this chapter. Luke chapter 5, and uh, we talked about the four fishermen. Jesus called the four fishermen, and they left their nets, and they came, and they left all to follow Christ. Are you willing to do that? I wonder if Christ tell you, are you willing to leave it all to follow him? You know, I'm going to a missionary class on Saturday where these people, they have left everything and will go to another country and learn the language. And the sacrifice that they've made, it's like they are so encouraging. And they are just full of encouragement. Jesus called fishermen. I'm not a very good fisherman because... I'm very impatient. But he calls us to be fishers of men. Sometimes it takes time to win people to Christ. They don't come right away. Sometimes it takes years. Years. So be patient. Just because people haven't come now doesn't mean that they won't later on. But God knows even right now who's going to be in heaven and who's not. He, he already knows who's going to accept, who's going to accept him and who's going to reject him. He already knows. So we have to be patient with people. You know, you're going to be surprised who's in heaven and who's not. You don't know. We can only see the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. So we, we have to be very patient with people as far as winning them to Christ. Our job is to be fishers of men and sow the seed. Someone else will come behind you and water the seed, but God will give the increase. Like a true fisherman, he's patient, right? If you don't catch a fish today, he said, I'll come back tomorrow. I said, well, I ain't coming back tomorrow. I told a few of them. I didn't catch nothing. So God has called us all to go out and be fishers of men. And we also talked about last week the cleansing of a leper. That was a contagious disease that no one wanted to be around a leper because he was declared unclean and he was an outcast. So no one wanted to be around a leper. But Jesus came along and he healed a leper. We all had leprosy as far as sin goes. And he cleansed us. And now we stand here forgiven of our sins. So today we're going to discuss Luke chapter 5, verse, starting with verse 17. Jesus forgive, he forgives and heals a paralytic. Luke 5, verse 17. Now what happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there was Pharisees, you know, Pharisees means separated ones, right? And teachers of the law, scribes, by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You know, it's, the power of the Lord is always present to heal anybody, but God doesn't always heal. 
there are people that always there are people that teach teachers that that God always heal. I wish they were true. I know you're going to be healed when you get to heaven. No, no problem. But sometimes God does, and sometimes He doesn't. And if He if He chooses uh, to take a person home, then that, that person is going to go home. But He will be healed in heaven. And it says this parable left it okay. And it says. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. Mark's gospel said it was four men that brings this man. They carried this man on the bed. Since the man couldn't walk, since this man was paralyzed, they carried the man on the bed. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, in other words, they get there and the door is blocked. They went on, on the housetop. And they let him down with the bed. The guy still in the bed, let him down, bed and all, through the talon into the midst, in the midst of Jesus. So Jesus is giving a sermon, and he looks up, and here comes a guy coming down through the roof on a bed. Can you imagine that? I wish I could have seen that. <laughs> and he said, verse 20, he said, when he saw their faith, I'll say more about this later, but getting ahead of myself, but when he saw their faith, whose faith are he talking about? He's talking about the man that brought him. It doesn't mention that paralytic faith at all. It talks about his friend's faith. He said when he saw their faith, he said to them, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. You could see the, the friend's faith. You could see the faith of his friends. You know, and faith can be seen. Did you know that? Because James said faith without works is dead. But faith can be seen and faith can be demonstrated. It's an action. These four friends knew the man couldn't walk. So they bring the guy on the bed. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin? but God alone. Well, who do you think Jesus is? They didn't get it. They would have been right if anyone else had said that, but since Jesus was God, it was not blasphemy at all. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, since he's omniscient, he, he can read persons, a person's thoughts. The Bible says he knows your thoughts are far off. He knows what you're thinking right now. Did you know that? So don't be thinking about lunch, okay? <laughs> All right? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning your heart? You know, since he's all-knowing, he knows, so nothing surprises Jesus. Well, didn't the pandemic surprise Jesus? No, I don't think so. God is allowing this for a reason. All-knowing. He perceived their thoughts. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easy to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk. But that you may know, may know that the Son of Man have power on earth to forgive sin. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go into your house. Three things he asked the man to do that he had never done before. Sometimes Jesus does that. He'll ask you to do some things that you have never 
ever done before. He tell a man to rise, take up his bed, and go into his house. I, thought, I started thinking about that. What if that man didn't rise? What if he didn't take up his bed? And what if he didn't go into his house? Jesus' ministry would have been over. Because everybody is watching the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. The man gets up just like Jesus commanded, gets off his mat, goes into his house. In verse 26, they all were amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have never seen these things today. We have seen strange things today. Since this is the first time Jesus talks about the scribes I mentioned in Luke's gospel, uh, you, you ought to get acquainted with these scribes and these Pharisees. These Pharisees means to divide or separate. Usually where a Pharisee is, that's division. Many of the Pharisees, religious leaders, were hypocrites and did not practice what they preach. But Jesus did more than just heal the man. He would also forgive his sins and teach the crowd a lesson for forgiveness. The paralytic was unable to come to Jesus, but he was fortunate enough. The paralyzed man was fortunate enough to have four friends who would, who would be able to get him to Jesus. They knew they had to get this man to Jesus. These four friends are example of good friends. Good friends ought to minister to each other. And good friends ought to help each other. And good friends ought to bring people to the Savior. Some men went to great length to bring a friend to Jesus. It said, verse 20, when he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, the paralytic friend said, it doesn't mention a paralytic faith, but true faith of his friends. They knew he had faith to heal. You know, they could have got there and the door was blocked. They could have said, well, we discouraged now. We're just going to go home and come back tomorrow. No, what they did, they went on the roof and went down through the roof. They knew that Jesus had the faith to heal him. And they were united in their efforts. And they did not get discouraged when they saw the crowd blocking the door. When they, when they got at the door, they went through the roof. They removed the tiling and loaded the man on a mat in front of Jesus. And his friends carried the man up the stairs to the roof since he couldn't walk, they had, he had to be carried. Now, Jesus could have simply healed the man and sent him home. But instead, Jesus used an opportunity to teach a lesson about forgiveness. Certainly, it was easier to say, your sins are forgiven, than it was to say, rise up and walk. Why? Because no one could prove that the sins was really forgiven. Jesus took a harder approach and, and healed the man's body, something everybody in the house could witness, and it was visible. If Jesus had said, your sins are forgiven, how would people have known? But if I tell him to do something that he has never done before, if I tell him to rise up and take up his bed and walk so it's visible, so everybody can see it, then you know that his sins are forgiven. Jesus astounded the religious leaders. He astounded religious leaders by claiming to have authority to heal the body and forgive sin. 
He said he had authority to heal the body and forgive sin. The people had already acknowledged his authority to teach and cast out demons in chapter 4 of Luke, but now he claims authority to forgive sin as well. well. Then the scribes and Pharisees could not deny the healing, but they considered this claim to be nothing less than blasphemy, for only God can forgive sin, what they said. For making this kind of statement, Jesus could be stoned because he was claiming to be God, which he was. And they said he was speaking blasphemy. And according to the Villagers, chapter 24, verse 16, anyone that says that you are God could be stoned. Anyone claimed to be God could be stoned. But since Jesus was God in human flesh, they just couldn't catch it. They didn't understand it. The healing was immediate and the people glorified God. But even more than receiving healing, the man experienced, the man, the paralytic, he received forgiveness and he started a whole new life. The man came for healing, but he got more than he came for. He got healing and plus he got a new life. Our Lord's miracle not only demonstrated his deity and his compassion for the needy people, but they also, it also reveal a spiritual lesson about salvation. They were object lessons to teach spiritual blind people who, who could not believe in the Son of God. What an opportunity they missed when they came to the meeting with a critical, these scribes and Pharisees, they came with a critical spirit. But they, didn't, they did not have a repentant heart. If you can consider this, the scene through the eyes of, of the Lord Jesus, when he looked up, he saw four men on the roof with a sick friend. Houses back in those days had flat roofs, which were usually accessible by the means of an outstair, uh, outside stairway. It was accessible by an outside stairway. It could not be, it was difficult for to remove the towel and remove the lath and go through the roof large enough to put a human body down through the roof. That was a lot of work. But we got to admire the, these characteristics of these four friends. You know, these guys was truly fishers of men. One thing, they were deeply concerned about their friend and they wanted to help their friends. They had the faith to believe that Jesus could meet this person's need. They did not just pray about it, but they put their feet, they put their feet to their prayers. And they did not permit difficult circumstances to discourage them. They worked together and, and dared to do something different. And Jesus rewarded their efforts. How easy it would have been for them to say, well, we just try, 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 we just give up. The door is shut, the people are blocked, can't get in. But they were determined to get their friend in front of Jesus, knowing that Jesus could help him. And we should be determined to get people in front of Jesus also. When our Lord looked down, he saw the paralyzed man lying on a mat, and immediately Jesus went to the heart of the man's problem was sin. Not all sickness is caused by sin. John 9 talks about that. Not all sickness is caused by sin, but many believe that this man's conditions 
was a result of sin and disobedience to God. Even before he healed the man's body, Jesus spoke peace to the man's heart and announced that his sins were forgiven. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price and it brings the greatest blessings and the most lasting results. When when the Lord looked within, he saw a critical spirit in the hearts and he knew that they were the Pharisees were trying to accuse him of blasphemy. Didn't matter. Jesus not only healed the man, Jesus got the greater need. He forgave, gave the person sin. Perhaps a man who lowered their friend was, they were disappointed. Maybe the friends that brought the paralytic friends to Jesus, maybe they got disappointed. After all, they brought the man for healing. And Jesus said, well, your sins are forgiven, which is more important to Jesus than, than the healing was. Jesus knew the deepest need that people need is forgiveness. Jesus knew that. Jesus not only healed a man, but he also forgave his sins. He, he had a spiritual need, he had an eternal need, and Jesus met that need. Although those on the roof may have, they, the guys that brought him might have felt cheated. We brought him to get healed, and you're talking about forgiving his sins. But the paralyzed man was elated. They all were amazed. They glorified God and filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. They said, we've never seen anything like this. Strange things, strange things indeed. The roof falling the bed descending, Jesus forgiven, and a paralyzed man walking all at once. For with God, all things are possible. The man comes for healing. He got healed. He also got forgiveness. And they says, man, we've never seen anything like this. We know this guy was a cripple, but now he's walking. Right before their very eyes. Jesus said you might, that you might know that the Son of Man have the power to forgive. I'm going to tell this man to rise up and walk. It had to be visible for them to see it because you can't see when a person's sins are forgiven. You can't see it with the physical eyes. But when that person got up and walked, they said, we have never seen anything like this. Never. Hmm. Verse 27, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector, Levi, Matthew, Levi's Matthew, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. God calls people in the daily tasks of life. Here's a tax collector. Jesus called Levi as he sat at a tax office. He called the woman at the well. She was sitting by the well. Paul was called on Acts 9 at the road to Damascus in his everyday life, his everyday routine, and Jesus stepped in. Moses on Genesis 3 was called at the burning bush. David was keeping the sheep when God called him, but God knew where he was. Gideon was threshing wheat at a wine press, hiding from the Midianites. Gideon was hiding. And God still said, oh, man of valor, oh, man of strength. Don't worry about finding God's will. God's will is going to find you. 
You just keep going. You just stay the course. You just stay the... Don't worry about that. So here Jesus called this tax collector, and he said in verse 28, he, so he left all, rose up, and followed him, became his disciple, and he became totally committed to Jesus. He left everything behind. Verse 28 say, he left all, just like those fishermen left all. They left the boat and everything. This man here, the tax collector, he rose up and he followed him because his disciples became, he became totally committed to Jesus and he left everything behind. Tax collector was very rich people because they cheated people out of their money and they overtaxed people. So any excess money came in, they could put it in their pocket. So no one liked a tax collector. Here's a man completely abandoning his office and everything connected with it. He left Jesus to preach the gospel like the, like the disciples. They had no earthly entanglement at all. A person that's going to fully follow Christ could care less about the things of this world. They could care less about it. Satan wants to weigh us down with stuff of this world. But Jesus wants to set us free. Matthew left a material fortune in order to gain a spiritual fortune. Since most tax collectors were very rich. Then Levi gave a great feast in his house. And there were a great number of who? Tax collectors. That's all he knew. And others who sat down with him. Matthew got, Matthew got them together for a, for a purpose of bringing them in contact with Jesus. Many publicans and sinners came. Matthew, as soon as he got saved, he throws a party and he invites all his homies, you know, he used to hang out with. That's all he knew was a bunch of crooks. See, so I'm going to go get them all, and I'm going to show people what Christ has done for me. And he invited them, tax collectors. When Levi came to Christ, he did, he did not follow Christ secretly. You know, people talk about the church, the church, the church. You know, there's no perfect church, and there's no perfect people. The church is full of saved sinners. But Matthew's repent now. He's going to be used by Christ. A number of his friends were tax collectors and, and they were, he were acquainted with them. But they had to be convinced of the change in his life. So what did he do? He went out and he invited them and he wanted them to see the change that Christ had made in his life. Should we do the same? Go around people who used to know us before we came to Christ. Go around people you used, you used to know that uh, before you became Christ to Christ and let them see the change that Christ has made in your life. They say a saved man doesn't want to go to heaven alone. Many Christians today think that our task is to open up the church doors and, in, and invite sinners to come to us, but Jesus instructs us to go to lost men and women and preach the gospel Christians said, let's come out from among them and be ye separate. Well, separation is not isolation. The church is isolated. Can't do that. 
If you're going to catch fish, you got to go where the fish are. I found it out. You got to go where they are. If you're going to be fishers of men, you got to go around them sinners. You got to go around them. Separation from undesirable people. You know, it will give us opportunity to make converts. Jesus had the ability somehow, I don't know, he had the ability to attract people to himself and constantly to, he just loved to be around others, around sinners. I hope we can do the same. Verse 30, there were scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know what kind of people these are? Why are you eating with them? And why are you hanging around them? Hmm. They should have been happy that Jesus was hanging around them, that Jesus was trying to reach them. But their religious pride and self-righteous attitude, they're saying, why is this man, Jesus, hanging around tax collectors and sinners? Why? If Jesus did not hung around tax collectors and sinners, he wouldn't have hung around anybody because everybody's a sinner. He would have been eating alone the rest of his life. The issue of eating with sinners and tax collectors was, you know, a lot of people were stuck in their ways and they couldn't accept it. But they didn't realize that there were sinners just like the tax collectors and sinners. They were, they were sinners also, but they couldn't see their sin. So tax collectors were very despised in, our, in their society. They were very despised and they were, uh, cheated people. They stole people. They worked for the Jewish nation. They were disloyal Israelites. They hated by the Romans. They would tax people, put the money in their pocket. Not much like, almost like today. But Jesus preferred relationship. He tried to reach them. So he went where they are. He went where they were. Jesus said to them, those who are well need no physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is a physician of the soul, and it makes sense for them to be with the one who can heal the soul and bring forgiveness. Jesus, I did, I did not come to called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. No need of a physician. Jesus was not saying that the Pharisees and the scribes had no need of spiritual healing because they did. Instead, he was trying that the only those who know their spiritual need, only those who know their spiritual need can be treated. A self-righteous person like the Pharisees and scribes, they weren't aware of their spiritual needs and they didn't realize they were just as bad as the tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees would not come for aid in their own eyes because they didn't think they needed a physician. They didn't think they needed help. The scribes and Pharisees were quick to diagnose other people's problem, but they were blind to their own needs. But there were sinners just like everybody else. But they didn't see themselves that way. So Jesus couldn't help them. Jesus chose to spend time not with the proud, self-righteous religious leaders, but he chose to spend time with sinners. Shouldn't we do the same? 
he was always criticized. But Jesus didn't care. He still tried to reach tax collection centers. And there's a lot of centers out there. Trust me. Verse 33, it says, Jesus is questioned about fasting. This one chapter has four or five topics in this one chapter. Verse 33 said, Then they said to him, What are your disciples of John fast and often make prayers? And likewise, those are the Pharisees, but you eat and drink. He said to them, Can a man, can, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? While the, in other words, while the bridegroom is with them, there's no need to fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Jesus is full of aware of his death. He said when the bridegroom is taken away, talking about the cross, talking about his death, he said then they will fast. Fasting, uh, the Bible does talk about fasting, but fasting always should be private not public. The Pharisees fasted for a public display. They did it for show and they tried to impress people. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, they have their reward. Fasting should also be voluntary. It's between you and God and nobody else. Because, you know, if you Matthew chapter 6 said, when you fast, don't go around with a sad countenance on your face and, you know, to appear before men that you are fasting. Matthew chapter 6, you can read it, verse 16 through 18. It says, wash your face, look normal. Don't go around looking all sad and, and want people to see how spiritual you are. You know, you run across a brother, you know, and the brother's all looking all bad and all frowned up like he's sick and half dead and a frown in his face. And you say, hey, brother, what's wrong with you? He says, man, I've been fasting all the week. Whoo. You just got your reward. Because <laughs> you're not supposed to tell anybody. Some things people are not supposed to know. It's not wrong to fast, but if you do it the right way, with the right heart, with the right motive, and not to impress people. If you want to pray and fast and see God for his will in your life and get closer to God, there's nothing wrong with that. But to get public approval, you don't want to fast and go around sounding a trumpet. You don't want that because uh, that's drawing attention to yourself. So so fasting is not to change God's will. It's not to change God's heart. It's not to get your way. Some people think if I fast, man, God's got to answer my prayer. No, he doesn't. If it's not God's will, you can fast till the cows come home. And he, it's, his will is still going to be done. In 1 John 5, said so we should be praying what for his will. Whether you fast or whether you don't. So fasting should be Drawing close to God in prayer, there's nothing wrong with that. So, just with that. Verse 36, he said, Now he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece of new garment on the old one, otherwise the new makes it tear. And also, piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine on, into old wineskins, uh, else the new wine will burst, and the wineskin will be filled, and the wineskin will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. 
new wines, put in the old wine skins. The wine, the wine would get in the old wine skin. It would per, ferment. The wine skin would expand, and then it would be lost. The wine would break, and it would be lost. But the point of this metaphor is that one cannot mix the old. He's talking about two systems here. And one cannot mix the old uh, covenant with the new. So many people were satisfied with the old system was, and it was very hard to give up. They said, verse 39, they said the old is better. The new covenant is complete within itself and not part, the new covenant is not part of the old covenant at all. In other words, the new covenant cannot be passed unto the old covenant. You can't mix the two. It's like trying to put new wine into old wineskins. To try to attach the new covenant to the old would destroy both covenants. They cannot be combined. The old covenant had to be done away with completely or else the new covenant would not be accepted. The old covenant was works, works, works. The old covenant appealed to pride. The new covenant appealed to the cross. The Pharisees, the Pharisees were filled with old wineskins. They could not accept new change. They wanted to hold on to rules. They wanted to hold on to regulations. They wanted to hold on to the law, to rituals. They were locked into the old system and was not open for any change. How many people are open to change in these last days? There's going to be so many changes coming your way. It's going to make your head swim. For those that are walking with Christ, they're going to say, hey, I'm going to go with it, man. God is doing something new. I'm going with it. I'm not going to be like these guys. We're going to hold on to the old. God's going to do something in these last days. It's going to shock you, and you're not going to be able to, to unless you're flexible, you can miss it. He had not come merely to patch up the old reform legalistic Judaism system. He came to bring something really new. Jesus came to bring a new way of life to people. To follow Jesus requires, it requires a radical break from the old way of life. So Jesus is saying any attempt to mix the old way of life with the new, it, it, can't, it, can't, it can't work. You put yourself in a worse situation. Jewish religion was worn out wineskins. It's like old traditions. They were like worn out wineskins that would burst if they were filled with new wines of the gospel. They would just burst. They couldn't accept anything new. Jesus did not come to renovate Moses or even mix. He didn't want to mix the law and grace. You can't do it. He came to bring a complete new life. He had come not merely to patch up or to reform a legalistic system. He came to bring something Totally new. He's not trying to patch up the old. He came to bring something totally new into the system. But they said the old is better. That's why when I'm seeking the Lord, you know, I have to be open for change, especially me. Because God might do something totally different here in this church. I want you to go over there. I want you to go do this. I want you to do, unless I'm spending time with Christ and listening and flexible, I can want to hold on to the old way and say, well, it's never been done this way before. God is going to do some new things in these last days. And I want to be part of that new thing.
We all got to be open to change. Don't say the old is better. Don't say the old has to stick around. No, God is going to do something totally new in these last days. I think he's going to do something totally new even before the rapture. Even before the rapture happens, it's going to be sold. In. So don't be so set in your ways that you're not willing to change. If God wants to change some things and do something new, don't say what these religious leaders said. We're going to stick to the old. No, he wants to do something totally new and bring a different change. And you've got to be open and flexible enough to go with it. I know pastors are struggling right now in their churches because God wants to do something totally new in those churches. But they said, man, it has never been done like this before. So we ain't, it, that's the way it's been for 100 years, and boy, we ain't changing. Holy Spirit said, well, I just go to a church that's going to listen, you know. If you don't want to listen to your church, what the Holy Spirit is teaching you, I just go to another church who's going to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Amen. Be flexible, be open. God is going to use you. God is going to use me in these last days. And it's going to be something totally new. So don't be satisfied with the old. Take it. Don't be, don't be satisfied with uh, just holding on to things that you've never done before. Because, you know, God might put you into a different state. You don't know. You don't know that. But if you're walking with the Lord, he'll tell you. You'll, you'll be able to know. Because he said, my sheep will hear my voice and they'll follow me. So be praying about that. These are very exciting times right here we're living in. And he wants to use you and me to get the word out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your many blessings. As you speak with each one today, Lord, and I pray, God, you would help them to, to be flexible I pray, Lord, that you would use each one of us for your glory. If there's someone here today that have not received Jesus Christ, this is your time. Jesus wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to come into your life. And he wants to, he wants to take you to heaven. All you have to do is just admit that you are a sinner and ask Christ to come into your heart and you can have all your sins forgiven and, we, and you can go to just like just like the rest of us anyone here if you want Jesus Christ anyone here would like to receive him today and have your sins forgiven and go to heaven and have eternal life just raise your hand we'll pray with you so dear Lord I want you to I want to invite you in my heart today. Father, we thank you for each one here. We ask, God, that you would be with us as we go our ways. And in, I pray you would strengthen the saints today. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.